Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that most people talk about measuring ketones, these fat-burning molecules, in the urine. You pee on these little test strips. But did you know that ketones can be detected just by smell? The simplest ketone is called acetone. It's actually a nail polish remover. And it leaves through the lungs and can give you like a sweet, fruity-smelling breath. And if you stay in ketosis for long enough, the primary ketone will not show the same intensity in your urine, but you can definitely measure it with your breath. In fact, I have a ketone breath meter somewhere in my stack of toys, and I imagine today's guest probably has more of them than I do. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Uh, today's guest is uh, someone who's been on the show before. In fact, several years ago, he was episode, somewhere around episode 80 guest, and it's none other than Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. He's an associate professor at Morsani College of Medicine at the University of South Florida, a traveling senior research scholar at the Florida Institute for Human and Machine Cognition, a neuropharmacologist, and he's probably best known as one of the top ketogenic diet researchers out there, specifically looking at neurological diseases, cancer, and other chronic illnesses. 
certainly one of the biohackers I respect the most. Uh, Dominic, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. I wanted to have you back on the show because, well, it's been too long and because we had such a fun time on the first show. And we'll put a link in the, the show notes so people can go back and hear the first interview, uh, which was, uh, I think, one, one of the very early ones you were giving about ketosis in the overall like public sphere, as far as I know. And I learned a lot on that one, realized we had some similar recipe ideas around chocolate and huge amounts of fats and how it could make you uh, feel amazing. Uh, before we jump into like, like the main reason, which is I had Dr. Veach on the show recently, and Dr. Veach is, is a major researcher in ketones as well, and uh, he had some really interesting comments, some things I had not heard anything about in the keto community, so we're going to get into that stuff. But for people listening who aren't like super ketogenic already, uh, let's talk about just ketogenic diets in general, do a little bit of a primer catch-up from one of the top re- researchers in the field here, and... If you're a long-time listener, you probably already know what ketosis is, but we are now getting two, sometimes a little bit more than two million downloads a month on Bulletproof Radio. So there are lots of new listeners who are just getting into this. So we're going to go a little bit basic on ketosis, and then we're going to go deep on, okay, what kind of supplements should you be using, what kind of diet should you be using, and we'll just have lots of fun because we always do. All right. So what are the top benefits of a ketogenic diet that you've come across in your research? You, you know stuff about this that most people don't. So what is it, just the two-sentence version, and then what's it doing for people that you're seeing in the labs? Well, the history of the ketogenic diet is really interesting. Um, we wrote a three-part article, actually, with Travis Christofferson. Uh, it might be good to have on your show. Uh, okay. And it's on Rob Wolf's uh, podcast. And it's the history of the ketogenic diet, part one, two, and three. So if your listeners want to check that out. But I got interested in the ketogenic diet because it mimics the metabolic physiology of fasting, right? And we knew for centuries, if not millennia, that fasting is very uh, effective for controlling seizures when drugs fail. You know, in millennia, you know, a thousand years ago, they didn't have drugs or more. So the diet was designed sort of to mimic the the physiological effects of fasting and prevent seizures. So that was the original application was specifically for seizures that result from uh, oxygen toxicity that are experienced by the Navy SEALs uh, using a closed circuit rebreather. So that that work has expanded to a broad range of other seizure disorders, including things like glucose transporter type one deficiency syndrome, Angelman syndrome, other, we have other models of seizures we're looking at, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's disease, uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, wound healing, cancer is a big, you know, area of research in our lab. We have, you know, three people just working on cancer right now. Um, and then performance in extreme environments. So that could be you know, resilience against hypoxia, resilience against extreme uh, uh, increase in oxygen or pressure. You know, so these are the things that we're, we're looking at. Uh, so we've broadened out into many different applications. My original application was very esoteric. You know, oxygen toxicity seizures are experienced in a pretty small subset of the environment. Uh, the limits are pushed with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So oxygen toxicity is a limitation of hyperbaric oxygen therapy and will limit the therapeutic efficacy of oxygen toxicity or oxygen therapy, hyperbaric 
uh, and that's used for things like uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. So you can really only go to about two, three atmospheres, 2.5 to three atmospheres of hyperbaric oxygen if you have carbon monoxide poisoning. If you could go to five or six, you know, if you were to put someone in ketosis, we have evidence that you could go to five and, and be okay uh, and probably push the limits of safety. And then you could push, you know, the carbon monoxide molecule off the hemoglobin molecule with enough oxygen. So, you know, that's that's sort of the area that we're going into to make diving for special ops safer uh, and to, to decrease maybe the side effects associated with the high pressure oxygen over time. And then from the work that we did, you know, on that project, we observed all these other benefits and that expanded into a number of other projects that we assigned PhD students to or postdocs to, and they are just kind of running with it. And we're doing a lot of pharmacokinetic studies, a lot of safety studies on the racemic uh, salts. And also uh, we're comparing the R versus the racemic in various formulations. We probably got 20 different you know, formulations that we're looking at. And the most important thing for me is to establish that they are not only efficacious, but also safe. And I think safety is the number one priority. Uh, I've served on a lot of different panels to assess the safety of other types of ketone esters and salts. Mm-hmm. So I'm very familiar with the whole body of literature. Um, very familiar with Dr. Beach. Uh, he was one of the first people that I reached out to, actually one of the first ketone esters that we tested. Uh, but it wasn't effective against oxygen toxicity seizures because you also have to elevate acetoacetate in a certain ratio. And then that got me to kind of look into my own uh, methods of development and, and looking at different, uh, different esters from there. So if you're listening to this and going, what the heck, racemic mixtures, hyperbaric stuff, we're, we're getting pretty deep on this. And the reason this is so profound is that, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm working on a new book about mitochondrial functions. I'll, I'll have to ask you a few questions uh, off air about some nuances of ATP formation. But uh, what's happening is we have something called the Krebs cycle inside our cells and this is how your cell makes ATP and how it turns food into electrons. And you use those electrons to basically run your brain, run your cells, run your pumping systems, basically everything in your body. It's an incredibly complex thing and it was only hypothesized, theorized in 1937. So in the last 80 or so years, we've come to understand what is really a, a little semiconductor in, inside our cells that has amazing properties that, that it's affected by light, it's affected by temperature, it's affected by all sorts of environmental things. And we thought for years it only burned glucose except if you were really, really sick. And it turns out that when it goes into its fat burning mode, ketosis, that essentially things that shouldn't be possible become possible. And I, I think... You and I, Dominic, are not the first people to figure this out. Probably the first people to figure this out were uh, thousands of years ago when they were fasting in caves because after four days of fasting, you, your brain wakes up and you're like, wow, I feel amazing. Even though I've had no food, what's going on? What's going on there is what happens when your mitochondria have more power because they're using ketones or at least have different power. Uh, and what, what you've done is you've, you've kind of opened this uh, this giant maze because you start out by looking at oxygen toxicity in special forces divers, like such a niche thing. And all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, Alzheimer's, ALS, Parkinson's, heart disease, diabetes. Like, is there any chronic disease that you don't think ketosis would help? 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, any kind of, from a neurological perspective, all neurological diseases are linked pathophysiologically to energy dysregulation, yeah. you know, glucose dysregulation. So Alzheimer's disease, you know, the gold standard for assessing someone with uh, Alzheimer's dementia is a PET scan, right? A, a dim PET scan shows impaired glucose metabolism and ketones can kind of fill that gap and help you restore brain energy metabolism. Uh, you generate more energy per oxygen molecule with ketones than you do with glucose. For example, the energetic efficiency of the mitochondria is increased. So the electron flow uh, through the mitochondria to generate the hydrogen ion gradient that spins the ATP synthase is, is greater. So you have less reactive oxygen species produced uh, when you generate ATP from ketones than you do with glucose. So Dr. Q, or Dr. Beach probably went into how it oxidizes Q, and then you have less superoxide anion production, and uh, so that actually attracted me because oxygen toxicity. The the theories were that it was generating reactive oxygen species, and then that was contributing to the seizures. But it's really, you know, if you the source of reactive oxygen species is the mitochondria. So if you enhance the bioenergetics of the cells by enhancing mitochondrial ATP production, then you don't make as much superoxide. So instead of throwing antioxidants, you know, onto the brain and trying to prevent oxygen-free radicals during it, why don't we just enhance mitochondrial function and then we could preserve the bioenergetic state of the cell in the face of the oxidative stress, which would be the high oxygen content. And that's why it works. I mean, it's, it's, and you could say that with a number of epilepsies. So the etiology of epilepsy is largely unknown for many cases, but uh, nutritional ketosis and, and fasting work sort of independent of the etiology across all different seizure types by enhancing the bioenergetic function of the brain cells. And I think we're just beginning to understand of how that's working and it's not one pathway like drugs yeah. tart one pathway it's many different pathways sort of synergistically working together in synchrony to enhance and preserve brain homeostasis and that's that's really important to understand so and that's that's metabolic physiology and you know it's important to distinguish you know metabolic biochemistry from metabolic physiology because a biochemist <laughs> which Dr. Beach is a biochemist and he's very knowledgeable and he also has knowledge about physiology but when you view it from a systems level and uh, that's really important to understand sort of even the neural control of autonomic regulation so how it's impacting our central nervous system uh, which are, are things we're looking at we're studying the effects of ketones on anxiety so just simply reducing anxiety, we yeah. find that it's like a whole nother variable. We see like a 30% reduction in, in anxiety. We just presented this work in Budapest last week. Oh, wow. And maybe the reduction in anxiety may be contributing to the delay in seizures that we're seeing. So we need to weed yeah. all this, this out. Well, so there's many factors. I, I've been giving uh, some talks. Back I gave a talk at, at Jim Quick's uh, Superhero U, like a, a kind of a brain hacking summit. This weekend, and I'm talking about the the bioenergetic effects of anxiety, and just it burns energy to focus on stuff that, like, a brain paying attention uses more electrons than a brain doing nothing or a brain at peace. 
So if you're burning more energy because you're worrying because you have bad programming uh, and you're hungry, like, of course, hunger makes anxiety worse. So if you have hunger, which is a problem with energy regulation, right? Like there's not enough energy. That's why I have a hunger signal. Of course, anxiety is going to be worse. So what do you do? Eat enough so that you're not hungry right when you're done eating would be a good way to start. Add more fat and get some ketones in there. And magically, people, they feel less anxiety. But you actually quantified it, which is awesome. Like, Yeah. And when you achieve like a flow state, your brain energy and metabolism kind of goes down or the the crosstalk in your brain is kind of shut off, you know? So when you achieve a flow state, you kind of dynamically activate the areas of the brain that you need for the specific task while kind of tuning out the others. And that's important to understand. And I think that, uh, you know, being in a state of ketosis may, may help with that. And, you know, some drugs uh-huh. sort of help with that too. Uh, but nutritional ketosis is very effective, we think. Uh, it's one of those things where if you look at mitochondria as being really important, ketosis, because it affects so many different parts of the mitochondria, is probably the biggest hack you can do to have better functioning mitochondria. Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Schallenberger's work uh, no. on, uh, on ozone therapy? No. I get that question a lot, though, because a lot of people ask about ozone therapy uh, for cancer and, and for other things. The- um, the similarity it has with, with ketosis is that it changes the NAD plus to NADH ratio by adding electrons directly from ozone. Like there's a free electron in ozone. So you're, you end up having a mitochondrial effect that is not dissimilar to the stuff that you're doing. Uh, but the, the reason I'm asking is uh, he has found that about half of people, 46% of people have early onset mitochondrial dysfunction before age 40. Uh, as measured with you know, breathing oxygen, essentially looking at oxygen consumption rates. And, okay, that's one in two of us has broken mitochondria and don't know it. But with the work you're doing around mitochondrial uh, uses of ketones, well, just like you said before, <laughs> you're reducing free radicals here, you can actually fix that. So I, I'm spending a lot of my energy working on how do we take people who don't know that their mitochondria are jacked and then getting them jacked in a muscle building jacked kind of way. Like, like my goal is if you were to like take one of my cells out and look at it under a really fat microscope, you'd see like incredibly ripped and muscular mitochondria just like completely covering the thing. So like I don't want to be a bodybuilder on the surface. I want to be like a cellular bodybuilder. So I'm focusing on like what are the things I could do to grow better and stronger mitochondria. Given all of your ketone research, what are ketones going to do for someone listening to this who wants to have better functioning cellular energetics, like better mitochondria? That's a good question because uh, they work through multiple mechanisms to enhance mitochondrial efficiency and, and also ultimately, from a more long-term perspective, mitochondrial biogenesis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so ATP production is limited. Uh, and if we do like isolated mitochondria, there's a state one, state two, state three, sort of, you know, you can characterize uh, how the ATP is being limited. And one of the states is reduced, you know, TCA cycle intermediates. So you could have sort of reduced energy flow to the mitochondria to produce ATP. Now ketones, uh, being in a state of nutritional ketosis is anaplerotic, right? So it helps generate the Krebs cycle or the, the uh, TCA cycle intermediates. So succinate, malate, fumarate, alpha-ketoglutarate, succinate, all these are elevated like, like twofold or even up to like threefold higher in the brain and in the serum 
in when you're in a state of nutritional ketosis. Now let's, so have- let's pause for a second for people listening. The TCA cycle is the same as the Krebs cycle. This is how we make <laughs> ATP in our, in our cells. And okay. the, the Krebs cycle should really be called the Kremp uh, Zink Georgie cycle because it was a guy in <laughs> <laughs> who also who probably did most of the work on, on, the, on the cycle. So okay. that's kind of an interesting history there. Uh, so, okay, so generating Krebs cycle intermediates is one way. So increasing the bioenergetic uh, molecules that create energy, right, uh, is one way. Uh, increasing oxygen flow to the mitochondria, uh, the, the ketones enhance. One thing we're looking at in our wound model is vasodilation. So they seem to, ketones seem to couple, they help couple, uh, you know, the energetic state of the cell with oxygen and substrate flow. So it seems to enhance uh, the vasodilate areas that need it most, which would be like an ischemic wound. In our aged model of ischemia, where the wounds do not regenerate efficiently, we can do a Doppler blood flow measurement and show a 30% increase in blood flow to the wound tissue, which has like a 90% deficiency in ATP production because it's not wow. getting enough. So an increase, you know, and that was shown years ago, showing like a 30% increase in brain blood flow uh, or oxygen, you know, brain blood flow with ketosis. Now, what about like burn victims and people with, with injuries outside the brain? Is that still going to be really effective? Yeah, we think so. <laughs> of all the things that we tested so far in, in our animal model of wound healing, the ketones are like one of the most effective things that we've seen. And what's interesting with all wound healing therapies are sort of tried topically where you put the substance on the wound where what we're doing is inducing acute and sustained nutritional ketosis with a supplement. So by altering metabolic physiology from a systems level, uh, just you know, by lowering blood glucose, we know that if we give an acute bolus of exogenous ketones, blood glucose goes down, if you bring blood glucose down, you know, by virtue of decreasing, making your blood less sludgy, you will increase perfusion of the tissue. So it lowers blood glucose, it elevates uh, blood blood ketone levels, it also elevates adenosine levels, which is a potent vasodilator. So it helps to perfuse the tissue. So just getting back to the mitochondria, it's anapleurotic, so you get more TCA cycle intermediates, you get more oxygen and substrate to the mitochondria. It enhances the bioenergetic sort of capacity, the electron flow of, uh, through the mitochondria. Um, it helps, obviously, to generate the reduced intermediates that drive the electron transport chain through the anapleurotic reactions. Uh, and then there's less reactive oxygen species production at the semi-ubiquinone site of the mitochondria. There's less superoxide. And making superoxide at the level of the mitochondria could be damaging because that superoxide, if it goes to hydrogen peroxide in the presence of copper or ferric iron, uh, you can generate reactive oxygen species through the Fenton reaction. And that can directly damage the mitochondrial membrane and decrease mitochondrial efficiency. You get electron leak, uh, and then you just make less ATP. So we know, so that's four things right there. I mean, there's probably about 10 things in my head that I could talk about. <laughs> TCA cycle intermediates, you know, electron flow, more oxygen, um, less ROS production. Uh, so there's a lot of ways, even kind of taking a step back, you know, 
this on this the role it has on glucose homeostasis and all the other signaling pathways uh, that could be activated, including AMP kinase, and that that gets into a whole bunch of secondary reactions or signaling pathways that I could talk about. Uh, and importantly, too, from so that's I described to you sort of acute things that can enhance energy mitochondrial production, and then we know that ketones are more than just an energy metabolite, right? They function as a histone deacetylase inhibitor, class one and two. It was a science paper. And uh, so like, talk about the impact of that, just people listening who don't know what that is. Okay, so if we're in a state of new ketosis and we have beta-hydroxybutyrate elevated in our bloodstream, that's impacting gene expression in a way that's uh, altering our our physiology over time. So, and it's decreasing oxidative stress. Uh, it's conferring uh, protection against aging and oxidative stress over time by increasing the activity of things like uh, superoxide dismutase, um, by activating a whole genetic program that's kind of parallels uh, uh, calorie restriction, right? So we know cal all the benefits of calorie restriction have been sort of really uh, talked about in the literature. It's easy to find that literature, like on PubMed. Uh, one of one of our colleagues, actually, and collaborators from Yale, Deep Dixit, contacted me and did a lot of work with calorie restriction and fasting. And he said, you know, we think beta-hydroxybutyrate may be like the metabolite that's actually conferring all these benefits to fasting. Wow. So he contacted <laughs> me and we formulated a diet. We just basically took the standard diet and formulated a diet with our ketone ester and uh, we collaborated with him and he ran a study and he found that elevating beta-hydroxybutyrate suppresses the MLRP3 inflammasome. So that inflammasome is linked to a whole host. It's like the hub inflammasome that kicks on the inflammatory cytokines that are associated with many age-related chronic diseases. And it was published in Nature Medicine. And it's like, that's sort of like the gold standard of you know, scientific publications. It's kind of interesting. Uh, bulletproof intermittent fasting, where you have bulletproof coffee made with brain octane in the morning at the end of, of the fast, you have where you sleep. Brain octane raises BHB more than MCT oil and more than coconut oil. I've been doing that every morning for like more than seven years now, and it's completely changed my life. <laughs> uh, and I, I believe it's a mitochondrial energetics thing. I also think that one of the reasons caloric restriction works, and by the way, I have no scientific basis for this other than I'm a systems guy and I'm a biohacker, right? Mitochondrial, when they're burning sugar, <laughs> when they're burning anything, they do produce free radicals. So if you eat less food, you make less energy, you have less free radicals, you get less damage. So therefore, that could confer some of the benefits, but they come at substantial cost as well. Like you're cold and tired and having less energy sucks. I like to be like exploding with energy, but I don't want to die when I'm 50. So, like, how do you manage to have more energy without incurring the damage from the energy? And, like, that's my quest right now. And I think ketosis is, like, at the core of it. And I think, yeah, and your brain octane has been something that has been a staple in kind of what I do. The C8 is a pretty potent, uh, the more, you know, we're studying, you know, these synthetic expensive ketones and yeah. ketone esters and ketone salts. But the more that we look at you know, what's in brain octane, C8, the more impressed I get. Uh, well, it, it's actually, 
it's it's a little bit biased because in rats they have such fast hepatic metabolism mm-hmm. that you get blood ketone levels it, it mimics you get the same effect as a ketone ester you know as you do with C8 so you can easily in get rats, the, but not in people right <laughs> rats and yeah if you gavage uh, so the C8 is interesting because it goes directly to it actually perfuses the liver. <laughs> with the oil when you drink it instead of going through, instead of being packaged into chylomicrons and going through the lymphatics. And you get obligate oxidation of the fatty acids exclusively in the liver. And very, not much C8 actually escapes the liver if you keep the dosages in the, even in the moderate to high range. And it almost completely gets oxidized in a healthy liver to beta-hydroxybutyrate. And, uh, and it doesn't get, so, the MCTs and C8 especially is they're not esterified. It's poorly esterified. It doesn't get transported by CPT1, the, the carrier, and it can be independently go right into the mitochondria. And it doesn't need a lot of carriers. Uh, we also found another benefit of, of MCTs that I didn't know until I did the metabolomics is that they readily cross the blood-brain barrier. So not only mm-hmm. do 90% of it gets kind of generated 80 to 90% seems to be generated into beta-hydroxybutyrate. And then what does get into circulation can readily cross the blood-brain barrier. I thought fatty acids didn't, but short chain and medium chain do. And we, uh, when we took tissue, when we took the hippocampus out and did the metabolomics on it, we found pretty high levels of C8 and C10. We did MCT and C8. And uh, yeah, so, so the MCTs are very versatile ketogenic compounds that can be, you know, they taste good. You can formulate so many great carriers. Some of them though, like, like this is something that, that I, I've helped to push the MCT thing out there, but um, there are companies selling uh, uh, some that contain C6, which is like a really strong gastric irritant. So you, you end up, yeah, well, can frankly, be, yeah. shitting out the rest of your MCTs when you have that. And then C12, which is good for you. It's not really, like, it doesn't go to BHB. It, it acts like a long chain fat, but it's legal to call it an MCT. So you're seeing, like, coconut oil companies pretend that there's a 60% MCT when it's really 15%. Uh, of the the MCTs that actually work, so I'm I'm seeing like a lot of kind of slimy marketing activity. I'm sure you are too. And MCTs, at least the ones that work, they're just like step one of ways you can increase ketones. And you've got like two other ways of, of increasing ketones that I, I wanted to to pick your brain about here because I've been I synthesized my own esters three years ago, but it was thirty thousand dollars a kilo. I'm like I, I I can't even afford to take these myself, but I I, I took like two samples and and it worked. Uh, what and then there's salts too. So, what ester was it that uh, you synthesized? Do you remember? I would have to look in my my notes, but uh, I, I worked with a third party lab, and uh, it, it came in a little vial, and it was you know insured when we shipped it because it was so darn expensive. Um, geez, I'd actually probably have to open up an old email to find it. Actually, yeah, the the first time this goes back to 2009 that we sort of acquired different ketone esters and to test which ones. We're going to be effective against oxygen toxicity. Uh, my original proposal to the, to the Office of Navy Research was to feed it for one week because I was convinced that you needed to keto adapt the animal or at least get levels, you know, the tissue saturated, the brain. And I only had enough to really give one dose, you know, and I did it 30 minutes prior to a super deep oxygen dive. 
And I was like, well, I don't have enough to really run the study that I want to do, but I have enough to give one dose prior to. And we gave one dose prior to the dive, and we saw, you know, in every single animal we dove, we saw an astronomical increase in the latency of the seizure. And we published that, and it was like a 575% increase in wow. the latency of seizure. And that's, that pretty much outdoes all anticonvulsants that, you know, the military has looked at for this. And we still have not gone back and did a study where we feed it continuously. We're doing sort of some work now, but I was basically figuring if it's this effective, just giving one dose in an animal that's eating a high carbohydrate diet prior to the dive, like really that's what the military wants. They don't want to like have to feed something for a week. They want to give like yeah. one shot and then, you know, hit your mission. So I basically, you know, we have long-term chronic feeding studies for other disorders. But when it comes to oxygen toxicity, we're really just looking at kind of, you know, a single dose prior to the mission. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we screened out, you know, the different types of exogenous ketones in that project in the beginning and identified the one that was most effective and just been really focusing on, on that. And, and getting that synthesized was was a project. Yeah, it was a lot of back and forth with, with the chemists. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think that that problem is solved, but uh, manufacturing that stuff is just complex. And people listening, like, oh, big companies can just make whatever they want. This is one of those game-changing supplements that that has the possibility to transform a lot of athletic performance and a lot of just like if you want to feel young when you're old, have mitochondria that work. Like the average seventy-year-old has half the mitochondrial function of someone who's thirty. And it's one of the reasons it sucks to be old. So, like, let's get ketones in older people, and magically, like, they'll get up and dance. Like, like it, it's that big of a difference. And so, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful, and I'm, I'm uh, I don't think Bulletproof is big enough to fund the kind of manufacturing research that's required to do this. Like, it is, it is a giant, a giant project. But I'm working on it, and I'm supporting everyone I know in, in every way I can, including just by talking about how important this is. But let's talk about salts before we get into esters. So, there's like a hierarchy. Of, of ketones and the first thing you do is you go on a low carb high specific fat diet right that, that alone can put you in ketosis atkins stuff like that and then the next thing you can do is add brain octane which is basically the bulletproof diet which gets you in ketosis especially in the morning do this bulletproof intermittent fasting no carbs in the morning no protein in the morning extra extra fat in the form of brain octane as much as you can take without filling your pants right and you do that like okay uh something different just happened I can get my levels up to 0.8 or, or 1.0 in my blood just from brain octane. Nutritional ketosis starts at about 0.8. And then uh, from there, though, there's ketone salts. Talk about what the salts are, the four kinds of salts, what, what are the pros, what are the cons, and if you could address what Dr. Veach in his interview was like, well, some, some of these based on whether they're bioidentical uh, isomers, this is called the basically mirror image molecules of each other. Uh, whether that's an issue or not. So kind of walk me through the salt story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is, it's important to address the racemic issue because it can create a lot of confusion. Um, so, so I'd like to address, you know, danger, like are they dangerous and are they efficacious? And I think that's kind of what I'll address kind of yeah. up front. Yeah. And it's important when we approach this question, it's important to distinguish and separate someone's opinion from the scientific fact and what has been published and observed okay. in the literature. So uh, 
when Dr. I, I didn't, I listened to about like half of the podcast or I was driving. So I don't remember all the, <laughs> I get it. I don't, I doubt that he referenced any papers when no, he, he said stone salts were dangerous <laughs> because, you know, I've sat on many boards and, uh, it was actually, uh, in talking with him, it was a concern that I had, uh, because we were testing a number of different compounds and the ones that were most effective for my applications tend to be the ones that were racemic, um, Explain so, what racemic is for people listening who, who don't have the biochemistry background. Yeah, so th there's different, uh, probably be good to look up the word enantiomer. <laughs> and it's a stereo sort of image of when you think of your hands as sort of the mirror image of it. So the molecules in your body, most drugs that we consume actually are racemic. So the way that uh, if you look, if you go back to general chemistry, when you had a your, uh, when you did all the, the stereochemistry of the molecules and you were studying that, if your listeners out there had general chemistry, you probably remember, you, you probably came across the word racemic. So if you pull out your general chem book, you can, you can uh, look up the definition of that. But essentially, uh, there are molecules in your body, uh, amino acids, lactate, for example, uh, is L-lactate would be sort of the physiological enantiomer. And D-beta-hydroxybutyrate would be the physiological enantiomer. And the uh, opposite enantiomer has a configuration that would mirror it sort of like two hands coming together. And depending on the specific metabolic pathways, uh, the body will reject it or consume it. Uh, or some may have a weak interaction at the receptor if it's a drug. Uh, or a, a stronger uh, interaction with a receptor. Uh, so one thing I got interested, I studied lactate, uh, the, the effects of lactate like ketones. So lactate's an alternative energy substrate. Before I got into oxygen toxicity, I was looking at hypoxia. And lactate is actually a very effective fuel. When you exercise, your body produces a lot of lactate, and the lactate actually goes to your brain and functions like ketones. It's like an alternative energy substrate. And through the Cori cycle, it gets recycled back to glucose. But I was interested in using lactate to preserve, protect the brain from hypoxia and ischemia. And alpha-L polylactate is something that I was interested in. As a cyclist, it's in a product called Cytomax, and I was interested in developing different forms of lactate. And I saw that racemic lactate was being used as ringer solution. So any yeah. any ER doctor, any any you know uh, medical doc out in the field, when you're shot, when you lose blood, when you're in the emergency room, they fill you up with ringer's lactate, which is racemic <laughs> lactate. So you know, according to Dr. Veach, that that would be dangerous. That would kill you. But it saved millions of people's lives. So they they always use racemic lactate for that. So what? What this, uh, to, for, for people who didn't take general chemistry, imagine that like every molecule in your body likes left-handed things, but sometimes you have right-handed things. Like it's still a hand, but it's not the same hand. Uh, and sometimes it'll fit into kind of the glove-like receptors in the body. And that, that's a gross simplification. But the, the idea there is that they're almost the same, but they're just mere images. And so if we're left to our own devices biologically, we typically make the L form. Right? But the opposite form we can make in the labs, and when we use it as, as a food supplement or as a drug, it does all sorts of cool stuff in the body, including sometimes kill you. <laughs> but quite often, it's, quite, it's useful 
And uh, Dr. Veach's concern when he was on the show was that if you're going to be magically raising ketones, which frankly give you superpowers, like you get more energy than you had before, like Captain America kind of stuff, uh, well, you want to make sure that you're not doing something that's going to give you cancer or increase oxidative stress or otherwise shorten your life or mess you up. And so Dr. Veach had a, a pretty good concern here. And what you're, what you're saying now is kind of the counterpoint that says, well, okay, here's There's all no these, all these times when we use the wrong hand in our bodies and it completely saves lives and it completely works, which is a pretty powerful argument. I'd say, Dom, you, you've got a point there. Yeah. I mean, we have to, we don't progress, you know, as a species, unless we kind of move forward on truth. Right. And the science, from my perspective as a scientist, you know, uh, the truth should be in the science. So if there's evidence out there, you know, that racemic salts are dangerous uh, or that Ringer's lactate is dangerous, it saved millions of lives in the emergency room and on the field uh, that using these racemic compounds are dangerous. There's just, there's just no evidence. Uh, and then one could, you know, ask the question, is one optimal over the other? And I know, you know, lots of work was done early on on Ringer's lactate, and they compared L versus racemic, and there was no change in metabolic state on its buffering capacity and its capacity to save people's lives. So I assume the same thing would apply for ketones, but we're interested in studying that, and that's why we're studying that now. Um, but there are people selling it right now, maybe who haven't tested yeah. it. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, so I was a little bit concerned until I went... <laughs> You know, at, at about the same time that marketers started, you know, commercializing ketone salts uh, was about the same time that I was on various, you know, panels, expert panels to to really, you know, just spend weeks going through the literature to see if these things uh, could have any potential for danger. And I, I just couldn't find any. And I, I kind of wanted to find something because I thought people, marketers were kind of jumping the gun in certain, but I couldn't find evidence to suggest that they were dangerous or less efficacious. And to that argument, you know, you, you see Ringer's lactate has been used for decades and that the DL, the racemic beta hydroxybutyrate has been used for decades to treat uh, a disorder called MAD. And MAD stands for uh, multiple acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, dehydrogenase deficiency, MAD. And, and the kids with this, uh, the, the ketogenic diet doesn't work for them, but exogenous ketones do. And they're given very high doses of pure sodium beta-hydroxybutyrate uh, to stay alive. And this has been published. There's, there's lots of publications on it. There's a publication in The Lancet which has like an impact factor of 45, you know, showing the safety and efficacy of sodium racemic beta-hydroxybutyrate given in massive quantities to kids over years uh, to manage their disorder. So there's, you know, you find, and that's just one example. Uh, I was going through a list of emails this morning uh, with parents that have kids that have glucose transporter type 1 deficiency syndrome. And for reasons, you know, that a lot of these kids tend to be uh, picky with their diet, and they found the uh, these ketone salts on the market, and they ordered them. And you know, I've gotten emails from uh, <clears throat> from parents that said when their child drank these ketone salts, they literally just woke up. It's like they came out of a coma, and they're they're energetic, they're lucid, 
they're active for hours until it starts to wear yeah. off and the ketones come back down and then they dose them up again. And you have like four companies out there, you know, making them and they're all, you know, they have sodium beta hydroxybutyrate in it, but there's also potassium and calcium and magnesium. And I know Dr. Veach kind of talked about the sodium being an issue, but sodium, you know, has not been an issue uh, for all the applications that it's been used for. And the products on the market, they spread the beta hydroxybutyrate across a number of different monovalent and divalent cations. And that's really important. And that's really what I want to do is formulate something that has, you know, at least a dozen or more different carriers of beta hydroxybutyrate. You can use a, a list of amino acids, you know, calcium, sodium, potassium, magnesium. Uh, you know, I have magnesium beta hydroxybutyrate right here. I was just yeah. testing. And well, actually played just, with it too. And I just took pure magnesium beta hydroxybutyrate and can get up to about a half of a millimolar, you know, by itself with no GI issues with this particular magnesium product. So you can envision, you know, getting about six different either amino acids or monovalent, divalent cations in formulating something that tastes good. That, that's really important, too, because some of them yeah. don't taste good. They need to be buffered. Um, so it's not when we talk about ketone salts, <laughs> a lot of people just think sodium and mm -hmm. sodium. You can have a sodium. I have a sodium free ketone salt that I've been testing that has no sodium in it. And yeah. it tastes really good and gets me up in the two millimolar range. So the sodium is not really an issue. I personally don't have an issue with sodium. When you're on a ketogenic yeah. diet, your insulin tends to be a little bit low. So you excrete a little more sodium. So if your RDA is like 2,500 milligrams per day, you should probably be taking more like 3,500 or 4,000. And that would allow for a pretty significant amount of sodium beta hydroxybutyrate, you know, to get your ketone levels up without any problems at all. I actually target four to six grams of sodium in my diet per day, and there's abundant evidence that that is safe. In fact, lowering it to the current limit limits that the FDA recommends actually increases heart attack risk in studies. Uh, so, like sodium, if you're a salt sensitive, hypertensive, like you basically get high blood pressure from salt, two percent of people are like that. Uh, restrict sodium for the rest of you. If you're stressed, you need more salt. Like, go for it. It's fine. And if you take the salt with ketones, uh, okay, that's totally cool. That's funny. That's about what I get per day, yeah. too. I look yeah. at my sodium load. For a while, when I was testing just the sodium, I was getting about 10 grams per day, and I didn't have a problem with that. And I've, I've done 10 a day, and it helped me recover. I don't need that much now, but absolutely, it's just fine. Especially, I mean, if you're out, you know, we live in Florida, so it's like if you're sweating, if you're outside working out, I think 10 grams a day may actually be optimal. I mean, if your energy levels are low, <laughs> just take, take in some sodium with ketones and it'll wake you up and energize you. When I was in uh, South America, I was doing some high altitude mountaineering at Mount Cotopaxi in Ecuador. And I was literally adding a teaspoon or two of sea salt to my water bottle and, and some amino acids. And all my other climbers like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm feeling good is what I'm doing. Like, you need the sodium. And it, it, it's one of those things where if you're getting too much salt, your body will tell you very abundantly. Yep. Uh, so we, we just pissed off half the physicians in the country. But sorry, guys, read your science. Well, well it happens. I mean, when people talk about the dangers of a high-sodium diet, we're administering the sodium in processed food with refined carbohydrates, which spike your insulin. And the insulin makes you retain the sodium. So that sodium retention, it's really not about sodium intake. It's about sodium retention. And mm -hmm. insulin causes you, you know, to massively retain sodium. Just look at someone who's done like a pre-contest sort of physique, you know, dieting for a bodybuilding show or something. 
and they go, you know, from calorie restriction or low carb to high carb and just going high carb, that insulin spike with sodium, they'll, they blow up so fast. It's the insulin really that's causing the sodium retention and your insulin levels are suppressed, you know, on the Bulletproof diet, on the ketogenic diet, low carb and when your ketones are elevated. Your, you know, hepatic ketogenesis is driven by suppression of the hormone insulin. So you are excreting more sodium just by virtue of keeping your insulin low, you know, driving beta oxidation in the liver. So that whole process is just excreting more sodium. So it makes sense to get more into your diet. And that's good because I like the taste of salty food. <laughs> uh, I actually travel with a little vial of salt. I'm like, some restaurants don't put salt out. I'm like, what's wrong with you? So I just put it on myself. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you about uh, mitochondrial uh, physiology here. And uh, so I'm writing my my next book. It's like, how do you hack your mitochondria? And I'm really getting into it. And one of the things that, that really matters is the size of the mitochondria. Because if you basically move molecules apart a little bit, it takes a lot longer as a percentage for these little electrons to move. And one of the concerns about using ketone salts is that if you're using the racemic form, that it's going to reduce mitochondrial NAD which causes oxidation of Q, which basically increases the redox span between these two parts of the electron transport system. Now, if you're listening to that, you're going, what the hell did Dave just say? What I'm saying is, if you imagine that you have to take this little packet, an electron, you have to move it from, from step one to step two to step three. If you move the steps further apart, it's going to take a lot longer. And if you have to do it 100,000 times, all of a sudden that increase in distance becomes really meaningful. Are you concerned about that? No, because I haven't. I understand okay. sort of the the metabolic biochemistry of it. Uh, but what our lab sort of does like this top-down approach where we feed the ketogenic diet or we feed ketone supplementation. And then we go back and look at the brain tissue, the skeletal muscle. We, we do metabolomics. Uh, I, what we see is all the evidence points to enhanced, more robust okay. mitochondrial function. Okay. So, and we can look at using electron microscopy, we can count the number of mitochondria, and now we can also look at the morphological structure of the mitochondria. Um, and I just got back from Budapest, and I was talking with a med, an MD-PhD over there that has hundreds of brain tumors. And he said, with even in low magnification, when you look at a tumor, the mitochondria, the inner mitochondrial membrane is kind of all mucked up. I mean, yeah. it's even low magnification, you could see total crystallosis. Uh, you can see malformed mitochondria. Some of them are enlarged, some of them are small, some of them are split in two. A lot of times you see them forming like little circular structures, which means they're stressed. Uh, and then in, uh, in healthy tissue, we just see like a, a very uh, sort of dynamic dispersal of mitochondria and also the ability to mitochondria for them to migrate, for example, in brain tissue to the synapses where there's sort of robust sort of bioenergetic processes happening. Uh, a lot of uh, electrochemical gradients being shifted from firing action potentials and things like that. And the mitochondria are sort of transported through the cell in, in different ways. And they all, in healthy cells, what you see is they all sort of have like the same kind of uniform sort of circular football kind of shape structures. And then 
in disease tissue or disease model, you just see like a range of different mitochondrial, you know, uh, sizes and shapes and morphology. Uh, but with the ketogenic diet or animals or humans are fat adapted, you do, you do, you do see more, <clears throat> more mitochondria and the, and people have reported this and we have tissues, a lot of tissues to look at sort of just, just the, uh, the architecture of the mitochondria are more consistent with healthy mitochondria. They have a more intact cristae and that's really where all the action's happening, right? The inner mitochondrial membrane. Mm-hmm at the level of the cristae and that's that's really the the indication of the bioenergetic capacity of the mitochondria the health of the 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 inner mitochondrial membrane and that's held together by different substances and probably the most important being cardiolipin and in cancer what you you find kind of a shift towards more immature cardiolipin so the inner mitochondrial membrane doesn't stay together and with the ketogenic diet and with healthy mitochondria, you see a shift towards more mature cardiolipin that sort of holds the, kind of plays a big role in mitochondrial health, the mitochondrial efficiency by preserving the integrity of the inner mitochondrial membrane. And that's really a function of, of you know, ketones, the ketogenic diet, a healthy kind of complement of essential fatty acids, phosphatidyl choline, phosphatidylserine, things like that, that can enhance uh, healthy mitochondria over time. It's such a complex topic, and that's why I decided that, that my next book needed to be about mitochondria, because I've been following uh, the work of guys like Nick Lane, and I just realized everything I've ever done that, that really made a huge difference, including uh, back in the day, I used to shine a, an infrared LED, one of the first LEDs you could get on my head, where there's the most mitochondria. And light affects mitochondria dramatically. So I, I've been doing a lot of light-based interventions for mitochondria uh, for more than 10 years. And I, I just, I, I see what happens when I mix ketones, uh, which is like our main topic with other things like cryotherapy that, that actually makes mitochondria work better because they get a little smaller when they're colder. So electrons move faster with ketones. So you stack ketones on almost anything that makes you perform better. And you're like, oh, like, like something magic happened. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to explain this in a way that is less, less science-y, but man, it's, it's pushing my limits of being able to simplify because it is such a complex topic. Well, these books won't make you won't simplify it, but these are excellent books that, you know, kind of... So, so hold those still, I'll read them. Mitochondria is one of them. Who wrote that one? Yeah, uh, there's a number of authors. So there's editors, basically. So there's like probably two dozen authors to get into the level of detail that you need to in here you have like a whole bunch of authors uh, okay got it so those are basically medical textbook level things scheffler is is the author of this book i may have that one i don't have the mitochondria and cancer book we'll put the names of these for like there's probably 20 percent of people listening to this right now are in the medical or healing fields it, it's amazing the number of emails i get from people who are like i'm at this big hospital and I'm, I'm doing this kind of research and they listen because we're willing to go deep enough and there's tons of people who aren't in medicine at all who are just like how is it really true that you can you can do this and of all the all the guys i've ever talked to man you're like one of the top ketone experts out there and ketones are a a superstar when it comes to just performing at a new level i i wouldn't be sitting here today without ketones for really more than a decade because my brain was such junk without them to be perfectly honest yeah, I, I don't think I could do, you know, I just 
flew in overnight last night and I don't know, I've been awake for, I don't, I don't, I'm not even counting the hours now. <laughs> I don't really think I could function in the capacity that I do with the productivity that I have been doing to get tenure recently at my, you know, my university. Congratulations, that, by the way. Thank you. It took a lot of like overnights, you know, working on grants and publications and things like that. And I don't think I could do it if I didn't follow a nutritional program that allowed me to have the resilience and just stay up night after night and work on things. And, uh, and that's, I'm in a pharmacology department, you know, so I'm really supposed to be working on drug research. But when the drugs didn't work for the type of seizures I was looking at, uh, and I found out that the ketogenic diet through the Charlie Foundation was being used at Johns Hopkins for like hundreds and thousands of kids. And that it worked about 60 to 70% of the time, even when drug failed. You know, I realized it was something I had to look into. And then when I realized that you can actually create exogenous ketones to mimic that, then I got really interested because that's kind of like the the combination of nutrition and pharmacology yeah. together. <laughs> so it was sort of accepted doing, you know, high fat diet research, you know, for neurological diseases in a pharmacology department is a little strange, but if you're developing, you know, a dozen or more different types of synthetic agents that can mimic that neuroprotective, you know, state of nutritional ketosis, that that's something you could build a career off of. And I realize I'm very fortunate that I just stumbled across Dr. Beach and uh, and Henry Bruninggraber. He was at Case Western. He helped me out a lot. Sammy Hashem, uh, you know, uh, Theodore Van Italy. He's like 96 or 95 now, wow. you know, eugenic diet guy. These these are like the pioneers in the field. And these are like super smart guys who really understood metabolic physiology and Dr. Cahill. So George Cahill at Harvard Medical School did the, did the experiments fasting, you know, subjects for 40 days. And he passed away a few years ago. But, you know, when I was in my postdoc, I was calling him up, you know, all the time. I was calling all these guys up. I was probably really annoying wow. to them. They always had <laughs> questions, you know. Uh, they probably loved it. I, I don't think you're annoying at all. Like, you know what it's like when, when someone who really cares about something calls up. I, I get calls like that sometimes. And you're like, of course you want to talk about it because it's, it's your life's work, right? Yeah, yeah. They had great stories to tell, <laughs> a lot of stories. Um, but, yeah, they, they were really kind of inspired that a younger guy was kind of picking this research up. And they inspired me just because of their background that this was something real that I needed to, to, to get into more and study for, for the applications that I was looking at. From a, a personal perspective, about three months ago, I got food poisoning and I threw up so hard I passed out and I smacked my head on, on the tile and got a concussion. Uh, I actually seized for a few seconds. It, it helps to be married to an emergency room doctor. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you with absolute certainty that I used every possible way of raising ketosis that I had on hand, which was basically brain octane oil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I absolutely did that, and I, I take a bunch of mitochondrial energizers. I, I manufacture a bunch of them, and I, I pretty much have all of them on hand because I'm always hacking my mitochondria. I use uh, red lights and, and other things like that, infrared, and recovered very quickly, didn't get any long-term damage. But even with that, for about a week, I was kind of a zombie. Uh, where I, I, My working memory was shot. I, I couldn't remember words. I, I swore a lot, like all kinds of weird stuff. I think if I hadn't had... Uh, ketones present in my body during that time, I would probably still be swearing. <laughs> and uh, 
uh, I would not have recovered at, at the rate that I did. And I, I did neurofeedback and a bunch of other stuff. So I, I came back actually remarkably quickly. But thanks for, for pointing out the things you pointed out in your work because of that, I knew what to do. And that's not the sort of thing you Google for. Uh, you know, I, I also have hyperbaric oxygen downstairs. We talked about that earlier. I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a human hacking lab. But I look forward to the day when that knowledge is just common sense. And when a kid takes a hit on a football field, which happens tens of thousands of times a year, that we actually put them on ketones and we put them in hyperbaric and we do all those things because that'll actually change enormous numbers of lives, I mean, just huge yeah. lives. Yeah, I get emails from parents and their kid, you know, their high school or even peewee football, they've gotten a concussion and they ask, you know, what's the best way to get my kid into new nutritional ketosis? So I'll kind of give them... Keep answering that. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of questions. So, you know, and people ask, you know, are ketones, a, it sounds like they're a panacea for everything. You know, soon we'll be saying they cure the common cold. And when I think about it, you know, they do three colds a year. And it's been about <laughs> seven years since I've been on a ketogenic diet. And I've only yeah. had one cold that I can remember, yeah. one or two maybe. And it's usually, it was just like little sniffles. You know, so maybe we get less colds as we age, but I went from getting two or three a year to, and you know, to one or two that I can remember over the last six or seven years. So that's really strange for me, and that's through a lot of stress. And usually, stress always yeah. triggered because right around finals time, when I was in college, I would always get a cold. You know? I'll I'll sound like the first chapter in in the mitochondria book, but like everything your body does is based on mitochondria, uh, other than your red blood cells that don't seem to have them, but. Uh, it, if you can do anything that just even gives you a 10% boost in the way they function, it's 10% more of everything, including immune function, including everything in the body. So I kind of look at that as the ultimate hack for the body, where of course your immune system is going to work better because anytime a cell needs to respond to an invader, it's got more energy. If you have more energy, you're going to do a better job. And, and I think that works at the very micro level and at the very macro level. And, and like, I've used ketones to you know, build my company, to write my books, uh, you know, to be a better parent, and you could use sugar as well. It just doesn't work as well, and so I don't. I, I'm same way. I'm not sick like I used to be. Yeah, you know, ketones were kind of an easy sell for me because uh, I was a patch clamp electrophysiologist in my PhD. That's what I did. So oh, wow. With, with electrophysiology, with patch clamping and I did something called a whole cell perforated patch where you take a glass electrode and you put it on a neuron and you don't dialyze the cell but you seal onto it and then you have nice statin in the pipette and it pokes little holes in the membrane and then you gain electrical access right and then you get the action potentials and the membrane potential and it was very clear to me from even early on in my doctoral work that we're just like a bunch of batteries right and we have these bioenergetic potentials and that was completely driven by sort of ATP, you know, yeah. ran the pumps that created the membrane potential. And uh, when I would de-energize the cell, either by cutting off the substrate or cutting off the oxygen, which my background is looking at hypoxia, you know, it was, you know, that that's when life ceases to exist, right? I mean, that's when you when you shut off uh, the energy pathways and you can't maintain that that membrane potential and that membrane potential really is sort of like the definition of life. It drives all the, the biological processes that we call life. So preserving the ATP levels and the bioenergetic state of the cell 
uh, with ketones. I mean, it just made a lot of sense to me. And that's what I, I first started studying lactate and then other alternative energy substrates. And I came across ketones and it seemed such a versatile thing. There was ways to do it, you know, through fasting with a ketogenic diet. Then I discovered, you know, you know, other ways to enhance ketone production. And it was really like a super fuel. If you're at the gas station and you have like, you know, four choices to choose from, it's like the super high octane stuff. So I wanted to study that. <laughs> and uh, so it was a pretty easy sell for me, especially since all these other therapies, all these other disorders will respond to this type of metabolic therapy. It's a very powerful metabolic therapy that has so many different applications. And if you look at like my CV or what I'm doing, it looks like I'm all over the place, but that's just because, <laughs> you know, nutritional ketosis or therapeutic ketosis can be applied to so many different pathologies. It, it takes you there. If you follow the ketones, you're going to realize that they're responsible for just about everything we do because they have more energy in them than sugar does. And so more energy means doing more. <laughs> and fat does too. So, uh, Fair so, point, yeah, fat, which drives ketones, right? I always like to preface it by saying being fat and keto adapted. So uh, There you go. Uh, that, that's a good point. Now, we're, we're over a little bit on the length of the show, and I know you've just got off an airplane from Budapest, and I appreciate you making time to be on Bulletproof Radio. I've got one more question for you that I'm sure you don't remember your answer for because it was a couple of years ago, last time you were on the show. If someone came up to you tomorrow and said, I want to kick ass at everything I do, I want to be better at everything I do, what are the three most important things I should know? What would you tell them? Uh, get enough sleep, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... The most thing, I mean, the most important thing is just to follow what you're passionate about. Because I think even if you have a, you know, you probably run into people who follow a crappy diet and don't get any sleep. But if they're really driven on it from a gut level uh, and very passionate about what they're doing, and if what they're doing is not self-serving and it provides a service for someone else, then they become more intrinsically motivated to, to work harder and be more successful. So I would say, you know, Kind of sounds cliche, but follow your heart or just follow really what you're passionate about. And, uh, and and if you follow nutritional ketosis and, you know, proper sleep and get sunshine and fresh air and exercise on top of that, then you're really going to kick ass. Love it. You got to, you know, focus on what you're passionate about and just don't have any fears and go for it. I, I knew you were going to say ketones in there and you didn't. <laughs> I said diet. Yeah. So if There you, you go. <laughs> Fortify that passion with nutrition and sleep and everything else. Uh, nutrition right. that involves ketones. And there you go. I, I, I love it. Uh, Dominic D'Agostino, where can people find out more about your work? Uh, are you going to write a book for all of us or at some point or something? Or what, what's the deal there? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. But right now, I think what's important for me is to build a big foundation of research uh, that the book will be about. So awesome. I'm kind of really deep into doing that kind of research. We have a lot of research projects that are going full steam right now. And in the process, I'm writing a lot of manuscripts and reviews and book chapters and things like that, that will ultimately become part of probably a book in the future. So I'm entertaining that thought. But ketonutrition.org is a website that I maintain and basically just put a bunch of links up there. And uh, Metabolic Optimization is also a website that I started and did a few podcasts. Uh, and intend to have more people on that show. Beautiful. Uh, so those two links right there. Thank you. 
I look forward to having you back on Bulletproof Radio, maybe in another six or eight months. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Don't miss out. To keep getting great videos like this that help you kick more ass at life, subscribe to the Bulletproof YouTube channel at bulletproofexec.com slash YouTube and stay bulletproof. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.